Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. There's something at some place, at some time, where you wish you could change the outcome. And if we could go back in time, no matter how old you are, there's something you wish you could do over again. Pause for a second. Is there something in your life, at some place, at some time, that you wish you could do all over again? You know how many movies there are about going back in time and doing things over and my run this morning, I turned on Netflix, this movie called 17 Again with Zac Efron. If you guys know that movie, this whole idea, first of all, what an Adonis of a human, right? Like the, he goes back and he, this whole premise is he could go back in time. If he could go back to his high school days, could he do everything over again? What would he change if you could change everything, if you could do it over again? Maybe it would be that relationship that broke your heart. You have that one relationship that if you wouldn't have dated that person, maybe your heart wouldn't have been broken and smashed into a million pieces. Or that one friend who betrayed you, you would say, don't be friends with this person. They're just out to use you. Um, It wasn't good. Maybe it was that job you took. The job that you took, even though you took the job, you got more money, you get into the environment, And you find out that the entire organization is super dysfunctional. And now you're in this job and you're in this job with people that are just narcissistic and they are hurting you, but you're like, what do I do? And now you feel like you're stuck. You go back in time and say, don't take the job. What about recently, some of the choices that you made? You've made choices recently, perhaps, that you say, I wish I could go back and if I could just do it over again, I wouldn't have done it. Because maybe that choice led to a great loss. Maybe that choice led to an addiction that you're struggling with right now. Maybe that choice has turned into this long-lasting, long-term struggle that for the last 20 years you've been trying to break out of. If you could go back in time, is there something that you would change? The term that we all know, and it's a terrible term, because of last year, but hindsight is 2020. We can't use that term anymore because hindsight is 2020 means, oh my goodness gracious, hindsight is terrible. <laughs> but hindsight is 2020 means I have perfect vision. If I can go back in time and look at all of my story, all of my past, I could go back. If I could go back and I could see the outcomes, would I have made the same choices? How many things would you have changed? I can tell by the look on your face and by this question and by how many movies that are made over the course of time that this is something that we wish we could do. Because if we could see how things would play out, we would go back and say, okay, this is a dumb choice. Don't do it. This is going to lead to this. That's going to lead to this. That's going to lead to this. But in the moment, you thought it was a good choice. In the moment you thought there's nothing wrong with this choice. In the moment, you believed or you thought this is no big deal. Like, why would it matter? Like, I'm 16 years old. I am never going to die. 
I can jump off of anything I want to and my knees will last forever. What does it matter if I blow that thing up with gasoline? I'm not going to die. And all of these choices when you're young, speaking the males, of course, women never do this stuff. <laughs> like we think that there's something, like there's no long-term effect. And those choices you make, like maybe when you made the choices you weren't thinking clearly or you're thinking of yourself or you're thinking it's not that big of a deal or maybe you weren't really thinking at all of the future. You were just reacting. Hindsight is cool on the other side too because not everything's negative. We go back and say, oh my word. I would go back in time and I would do everything over again. I love that I made that choice. I love at the outcomes of things that have happened. I'm, I love that I chose my spouse. I love that I took that job. I love the fact that I got to make that choice and the outcomes of what happened. We have both. Hindsight is 2020. Let's just say hindsight is 2021 for the sake of conversation. But hindsight is 2020. We're finishing up our series in Samson, and our series in Samson has been an interesting story because the Sunday school version of Samson that many of us know of this big behemoth of a man who like can throw people and rip people apart and do stuff, we actually find out is a tragedy. We find out that the story of a hero sometimes where there's action figures and posters and movies made of this great strong man is actually a great tragedy. And the tragedy is going to end today with hindsight is 2020. Because now we're going to see this judge of Israel has now gone through this life and made these choices. At the end of his story, he is now going to live in the aftermath of sin. The aftermath of sin. We don't really think of our choices that lead to sin as something that's going to lead us to some great destruction. Often we think of our choices that are sinful or maybe not that great as, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's really not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, it's bad, but maybe it's not that bad. And we start to make these choices that dabble in sin. And we don't think that there's going to be an aftermath. But Samson tells us a different story. Your sin is going to leave an aftermath of destruction. Sin is nothing to be played with, toyed with. It is a terrible, terrible thing in all of its forms, from what you believe is the smallest to what you believe is the greatest. Sin leaves an aftermath of destruction. And that's where we're going to be into our story today. But we're going to catch up once again to the story of Samson. There's a backstory you have to understand to be able to understand where we pick up today. So I'm going to recap three weeks of sermons for you. If you missed them, Congratulations, this is the Fast Reader's Digest version. It starts out with that is the nation of Israel has judges. And these judges are appointed by God to be able to rule over, in a way, Israel and bring them back to their true calling as being separate from the rest of the world. When the nation of Israel was traveling, they were supposed to go into the land God promised. They had a command, go into the land and clear out the people who are there. Now, in one sense, it sounds like that's very dark and twisted. But God does really cool things with these two groups of people, both the nation of Israel and the people outside of Israel. God uses his people to judge the people outside of God's people, and God uses the people outside of God's people to judge Israel. So God's righteous judgment is happening to everybody. Yes, you'd say they're the chosen ones of God, which is correct because they worship Yahweh, but he loves all the people the same and uses them 
to call on his name and judges both groups of people. So we see a relationship that happens. As they enter into the land, Israel says, we don't want to clean everybody out of this land. And so they don't. So now what starts to happen is those cultures start to infiltrate Israel and God is not happy. Now, when I say culture, we're not talking about how they do things. We're talking about their gods. They start to worship their gods. They start to bring in the worship of these pagan, outside, not the true God gods, and it starts to corrupt the nation of Israel. Israel walks away from their true calling, which God has set apart for them. So as God now brings in these judges, their job is to rule over them, at the same time bring them back to their true calling of being a group set apart by God. So neither group in our story at this point is actually obeying and following God. There is a system that happens along the way. Israel messes up. God brings people in to judge them. There's all this stuff. Oh, God, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. And then they do things right. Then it happens again and again and again. That's the book of Judges. Now, if you've ever been in that situation, like, dear God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never swear again. I'll never kick my dog again. I'll go to church all the time. Whatever those promises of God that you do once you get to that scared point of life, and then you make some major correction, but then you let that go, that's the nation of Israel. So if if you've done that before, uh, you're in good company. But just be very clear of how this goes. God now judges them to bring them back when they fall away from that which they're supposed to be and that which they promised. So those are the judges. Now comes the story of Samson. His family is told, you are going to have a special child. This child is to be a Nazarite, one set apart from a group of people who are set apart. He has a special calling on his life. He's going to be a messenger of me and work for me. And so there's certain things that he cannot do. He cannot eat certain things. He cannot go certain places. He can't cut his hair, and he has all these lists of things that he's supposed to do. Can't touch dead bodies. Big list. We've gone through those in the past. Go back and listen if you like. So in his Nazarite status, he now has this opportunity to be set apart from God. From inside the womb, his mother and father set him up to win. But we learn early on that Samson doesn't care he starts to throw everything away for his own desires. And we had this message to those who are raised in homes in which you've heard the word of God, in which your parents are teaching the way of God. You've heard what is right. You know the way of Jesus. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you decide that you don't care. Just call yourself Samson because he did the same thing. Because his parents did everything to get him set up for that moment in which he is going to be used by God for his special calling. So those of you who've had that opportunity, both live and to our guests online, that where you've heard the word of God and know God, you've been blessed. And I'm challenging you, no matter where you are in your faith walk, to come back to that place. Because Samson and you are in that same place, set up to win What's your choice? Do you want to follow the calling God has for you? Or do you think it's not that big of a deal? Samson says it's not that big of a deal. And he starts to break his Nazarite vow over and over and over again. We see him touching dead bodies. We see him corrupting his parents by taking honey from a dead carcass, which he wasn't supposed to touch, then giving it to feed his parents, which they were not supposed to eat because they are all then unclean. All of these things are happening, 
And it seems, as we read in here, Samson really doesn't care. It doesn't seem like this is something that he's taking seriously in his call to be set apart. So over and over again, he breaks it. And we see this from the very beginning. Samson denies his calling to be set apart for God. Samson denies his calling to be set apart for God. I want to make an Old Testament to New Testament connection here, if you don't read the Old Testament much. The New Testament, we learn those of you who call on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, who accept the gospel of like, I need Jesus to save me. I'm not good enough to get to heaven. I need a Savior. You are called to be set apart by God. The Old and the New Testament come together in this world. So the Old Testament isn't thrown away like, oh, that's old stories. Actually, it's a parallel that now says, you are all called to be set apart for God for the special calling that he has for each of you. Now, Samson couldn't cut his hair. Awesome. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. Samson couldn't eat amazingly awesome meats. I'm glad that we don't have to deal with that. But understanding each of you are called to be set apart by God for the call he has on your life. That's the gospel. And that's what we learn about when we read the New Testament. But Samson had the outward appearance because we learn he hasn't cut his hair, but his actions weren't actually living up to his appearance or his words. So he is saying and looking like he's a Nazarite, one set apart, So he played the role of the messenger of God, but at the same time, his actions didn't match up to being a true messenger of God. Let's make a parallel here for a second to all of you guests right now and friends. You can have the outward appearance of following Jesus Christ. You can wear the t-shirts, have the bumper sticker. You can do everything that has the outward appearance, but do your actions in your life match up to the calling God has for you? You can have the outward appearance and fool everybody, but it doesn't matter unless it's truthfully who you are. And it doesn't matter if you're just faking it. And when we look at Samson's life, outward appearance, but his actions didn't match up to it at all. And this is how we find out about this. Samson's supposed to not marry anybody outside of Israel. He does. He finds a Philistine woman. He says, oh, you're hot. Let's get married. He goes to get to this woman And we find out that this woman is actually part of the enemy. And so at his wedding, he gives this riddle. He says to the people who were there, which were all hired Philistine people to be in his bridal party, sad, no friends. So Philistine bridal party, he gives them this riddle and says, if you can figure it out, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of clothes and a whole bunch of stuff. But they can't figure out the riddle. So his wife goes to him and she's crying during this whole wedding phase, why won't you tell me the answer? You don't love me. You don't love me. Which I don't encourage this tactic, but I guess it works. Because then he says, okay, fine, here's the answer. Well, she goes around, tells the answer to everybody in the bridal party. The bridal party says, haha, we know the answer. Samson is enraged. He's enraged. And so he takes vengeance out. He goes and kills 30 people to take their clothes and give it to the people who won the bet. Once again, breaking his Nazarite vow of touching a dead body, gives him the clothes. He says, woman, I want nothing to do with you. Gives his wife away to whoever's in the bridal party. For this lack of term, we'll just say his best man. You can have her. I'm done with her. 
Now things get really weird. So Samson goes back home, but now Samson says, you know what? I want my wife back. So now he goes back to the people again, and he says, all right, I want my wife. But sure enough, she is now with the dude that he gave her to. So he's like, I want my wife back. And so the fathers are like, you can't go up in that room. Like, they're married, bro. Like, you said no. And so this family now of them is up there. I want my wife. He is so enraged. This guy has a lot of rage issues. He needs to see a good counselor to go through some anger management. He's enraged. And so now he has this fantastic opportunity. He goes out and says, I am going to destroy everything. In his rage, he goes and catches 300 foxes. Now, I'm assuming there's a lot of foxes running around. I see one or two once in a while, 300 of these bad boys. He ties them together, tail to tail, sets them on fire, sets them through their vineyards and through their crops, absolutely destroying their entire economy. He didn't just do it in one sense. It destroyed their livelihood. Of their enemy, he's picking a fight. Now remember, Israel and the Philistines are not friends. And so this dude has come to pick a fight, right? He is coming to do work. He is so mad. The Philistines find out about it, and they burn the father and his now ex-wife. They are so enraged. Samson runs off and hides into a cave. While he's in this cave, Israel comes, 3,000 men come to Israel and say, what did you do? Because now war is at hand. Now there is, there's tensions. And he said, okay, I will turn myself over. I'll turn myself over, but none of you can kill me. Don't have my own people kill me. Over and over and over again, Samson is denying his call to bring the nation of Israel back to God. He is always about himself, his best interest, his rage, his anger. And the thing that's interesting through the whole story is God continues to use him in his sinful state to cast judgment on the Philistines. Now the story is going to flip. Because you'd think that this brother who's gone through this would take a moment and pause and say, you know what, this whole rage thing isn't working out for me things aren't going the best. Maybe I should rethink what I'm doing, but he doesn't. Because as he comes out of that cave, he now is enraged once again. He takes a jawbone of a donkey and just slaughters everybody out there. Not his people, but the enemy. Again, judgment over the people of the Philistines. And at the same time, this is what just blows my mind. He's sitting there panting, exhausted, and whines to God, God, you're going to have me do this, and I'm so thirsty, I can't even, I'm going to die from thirst. Just do, like, I don't understand this. I just think, wow, we can learn from this. But God is still gracious, and yet he opens up a spring for Samson to be able to drink. God's presence continually is there for him. Can this brother learn? Let's find out. We're going to be reading Judges chapter 16. Flip to it in your Bibles and your Bible apps. It's the full uh, chapter, and I'm going to invite Dawn up to read this for you. It's not going to be on the screen today, so I just ask that you listen. Take in context of everything I just shared. Can he learn 
is hindsight 2020. Will he make a better choice now? Let's find out. Judges chapter 16. One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then the men hidden in the, with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you but he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say you love me when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off 
the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines! Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Great story. <laughs> what a choice. Hindsight's twenty twenty. What if Samson would have taken this time and said, you know what, there's a story in my past, let's, let's kind of revamp this story, but that's not where 16 starts. 16 starts with him visiting a prostitute. He goes to this prostitute in a foreign land, which is his enemy. I don't know, I haven't walked to my enemy's land a lot lately, but I'm willing to say, and been like a monster, like war hero, everybody's staring when this dude walks in, but everyone's, no one's going to touch him. He's a superhero. Who is this guy that's killing everybody, Right? He walks in and he goes to a prostitute. At the same time, they're like, dude, he's here. Let's kill him. But he's cunning. He's like, I'm not going to stay until day. So he leaves. You know, great relationship there, bro. So he leaves. Another bad decision. So the stories are all throughout the land. Who is this guy? Where does he get his strength from? Now, understanding the culture of the time, there were many, many gods that were available. And the understanding was that magical power came from their gods. That there was a magical power upon him that gave him some sort of ability to do things that others can't do. It was mystic magic. And so now we see Brother Samson falling in love 
He sees his girl Delilah. And let's just recap his first wife. We see the parallel of the exact same story again. Samson, learn from your mistake. But we're going to assume that Delilah was beautiful. He falls in love with her. And so this woman then says, simple enough, Samson, my dear man, why are you so strong? What is it? What's it about your strength? Because in the backside here, you've got to say, find out what it is. Again, going back to our ideas of Samson, we don't know what he looked like, of course. But if he was as big as the Hulk and huge with muscles, wouldn't it make sense they say, he is strong for he has big muscles? The odds are he's an average dude. He's just an average guy because they don't see anything other than this guy's really, really long hair. Now, interesting enough, as a Nazarite rule, he has not cut his hair yet. He's broken every other rule, but for some reason, he wants to not cut his hair. So he has this long hair, which you would assume as Samson is sitting there and she's going through this list of what it could be, at some point she's going to say, uh, is it your hair? Because his hair is super long. So Samson now gets back into the situation where if we assume he's an average dude but has superhuman strength that doesn't quite make sense, where is his mystic, magical power coming from? And so that's what they're trying to find out. Oh yeah, my magic goes away when you just get a couple of those bowstrings and like, it's cool. So he is there, he's sleeping, she ties him up, super weird, right? Like, ah, the, sand, the Philistines are here. And he's like, Tunk. like, no, they're not. Like, I would start to pick up on this girl isn't exactly looking out for my best interests because it happens again. And so like, oh, the Philistines are here. Like, his hair's like, no, it's not. So over and over, how can you say that you love me? And he once again is being bugged over and over, just like his first wife. Same story, repeating. He isn't learning. And so as this is happening, he says, all right, oh my word, here it is. It's my hair. I'm a Nazarite, I've taken this vow, God, Yahweh, if I do stuff for him, I don't cut my hair. He tells a story. But why would he tell her? Why would he tell her? That's the part that's baffled me for years. Why would you tell her why you are strong when she keeps trying to get this dude off? Why would he tell her? There's only one conclusion. He's broken every Nazarite rule to point. What does it matter if they cut his hair? I'm still going to be strong. I'm still a Nazarite. I don't need my hair. I can do whatever I want. God's still going to help me. My sin doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Cut it off. I'm still going to break out. And how do we know that that is the truth? Because at verse 20, it says this, she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. His hair didn't matter. His calling for Nazarite didn't matter. I'm Samson. I'm the man. The truth is his power did not come from the Nazarite calling or his hair or anything. It came from God alone because God gave it to him. We don't even hear him say, Yahweh, the God Almighty, empowers me 
because my job is to rule over Israel and to bring judgment. He doesn't even mention that. It's my hair. It's my calling. I can do whatever I want. God's going to give me whatever I want. Now, pause for a second here, friends. Pride is the leading to absolute destruction. He, in his pride, he, in wherever he was in mentally, said, it doesn't matter. I live my life how I want. God's going to bless me and do whatever I want. There are Christian theological beliefs that are out in our world today that actually teach this. Do whatever you want. God is your magical genie to give you whatever you want. Just pray certain prayers, rub this hanky on your head, pour this blessing water in your house, and God's going to magically give you what you want. Our God, Yahweh, is way too greater than that silliness. Yahweh is the God Almighty of the universe, and he is not to ever be taken lightly or toyed with. God is God. We are not. And so at this point, God says, enough. And the power leaves his judge. So he's now tied up. Oh, I'll go like I did before. Oh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing, guys. I'm just playing. Hot poker, let's burn your eyes out. Let's now take you into a grain mill because this monster war hero who's killed thousands of Philistines is now at our beck and call and he's made an example of. So humiliated. And they take him out to this place of grinding stone out to this center where they're in high spirits. Let's just interpret this. They're having a good time. They are celebrating. Their enemy has been caught. They love this. Wine is flowing. The party's jumping. Let's get Samson. And he comes out. Now in my little mind, we've got like those bears with the little hat on the top, like, hello, my baby, hello, my darling. And he's just doing like a little dance, you know, 25 skidoo. And like, he's got his little thing going on. And they're all laughing at him and they're mocking him and they're spitting on him. And he says to his handler, just put me up on the pillar for a second, please. And so his hands go up onto the pillar, humiliated, and he prays this prayer. Sovereign God, remember me. We've never heard him say it to this point. Sovereign God, remember me. Sovereign God, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. The first time we heard him ever relate his strength coming back from the Lord God Almighty. The first time that we see in his story, he realizes it wasn't all about the actions. It was about God. Those actions of being a Nazarite were to call him set apart. That was part of God's plan that he threw away over and over again. Sinned how he want, did what he want, lived how he want. It was God Almighty. And he says, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up. One more time. Would you please give me strength one more time? Just once more, let me get a blow. Let me get these Philistines. And so he puts his arms on there one more time as everyone's mocking him and laughing at him. He pushes out these pillars where thousands of Philistines die. Judgment once more put on the people. And I wonder this. Remember, they're worshiping their God, celebrating their God for the victory that they had over Samson. The victory that they had over Samson is because the true God allowed it to happen, not some false pagan God. 
And so once more, Yahweh makes himself known. No, judgment is mine, says the Lord. And he allows Samson in his God's name, Yahweh, the true God, to push out the pillars. And judgment happens once again. I wonder what Samson thought when he stood in the pillars. Oh, it's all Delilah's fault. It's all Delilah. Well, whoa, whoa, no, it's that first wife. It was all that first wife's fault. No, no, it was the lion I killed and the honey. No, it's my mom and dad's fault. I mean, dad didn't love me enough. It's my dad's fault. What did he think? He thought one thing. Boy, I messed up. Who calls out sovereign God, remember me, unless you're to that point of repenting and brokenness? Have you ever been to that place, friends, where you're that broken? When maybe it's going to be to the point of where you're at the edge of destruction. Maybe you realize your sin, but you say, Sovereign God, remember me. Forgive me. I have sinned. This is the story of Samson. Samson, as he sat in those pillars, remembers the Lord God Almighty and calls out to him for the first time. Friends, why is his story different than yours? Have you had a, a 2020 hindsight in which you say, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Are you still living them? Are you not knowing and learning from what God spoke to you from the past? Do you have an opportunity today to turn away from what your life of sin and what you're doing that's keeping you from your calling of God today? Or are you going to be standing between pillars and remember him then? Because there's going to be some point at some time you're going to realize who Jesus Christ is. It says in the scriptures that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that may be at the time when you pass and you're before the King of Kings and you're going to say, I'm so sorry. It could be right now you're realizing what you're living is not the calling that God has on your life. You are living like Samson. Forgive me. Now, the first thing you do when you hear this, which most people will do is say, oh my goodness, I'm not that bad. I'm not Samson bad. I don't have prostitutes in my life. That's good. Um, um, I cut my hair, but I don't have to not do that. So that's good. And you start to go down the list and say, he is worse than you. Incorrect. If you are living in sin and you are not filling the calling God has on you to be his child on his mission to transform the world, then you are in the same shoes as Samson. This story is a tragedy, and it calls us to one thing, repent. Repent is this big, huge church word. Let me tell you what it means very simply. Turn away from the darkness and turn towards the light. What if Samson would have repented any of the stories along the way? If he would have taken one chance along the story to repent, and say, God, forgive me. Bring me back to my calling to be the judge of Israel, to make your name famous throughout the entire land. Do you think Yahweh would have done it? Do you think if he would have said, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. Let me go back to my calling. I know what I'm called to be. What a different story judges would have been, except this terrible tragedy. Samson is not somebody that you want to put up on your nursery walls as a Bible story. It's a tragedy of a man who threw away everything. It ultimately led to his death. 
it led to shame. It led to him only leading for 20 years. Friends, every moment that you have right now is a gift from God for you to live your calling. Are you willing to repent? This morning, I'm going to give you time to do that. As you've been listening to the story of Samson and reflecting, is there one thing in your life that God has put on your heart? I've got to get this out of my life. I need to turn away from it. And there's no judgment. I don't know what's in your life. I don't have any sort of special way of knowing. So if you feel like, oh, Jason, you're calling. I don't know. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling us to holiness as God has called us to. I'm calling us to look at a story of Brother Samson and not follow in his footsteps. So what is it in your life that God's calling out of you? I'm going to give you a few moments to reflect. Take a few moments. Close your eyes. Focus. Think, Lord, what is in my life that is Samson-esque? What in my life are you calling me to get out of my life? What in my life is keeping me from my calling? Lord, forgive me. I turn away from this and I turn towards you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.